This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears. I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser. How are you? Hey, no, I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a new iPad Pro that I've been playing okay. with for the past couple of days. Um, I got one on Wednesday. I just walked into the store and I bought one. I didn't have a pre-order. I didn't have a reservation. I just took advantage of, of, of the new Apple policy that they're always going to hold some stock for people who just walk into the store. So for the first time in many years, I took advantage of that. <laughs> I imagine it will be a lot easier to get an iPad Pro from the store than from the online store because yeah. I feel like all the people who know they want one will be doing it online and then, you know, these are obviously quite expensive devices and quite specialist devices, the, the big pros, and I guess there's not a ton of foot traffic just walking in and buying one of those on a whim. Yeah, that's what the the Apple Store employee told me. I mean, it, it helps that I was getting the one terabyte model with LTE. Okay. And it was like, I don't think anybody is buying this iPad <laughs> today. So I was like, yeah. okay, perfect. Uh, just me. Uh, but yeah, I got one alongside the ultra fine 4K display, which is part of my uh, process of rebuilding my entire home office. Uh, I got a new desk. I got a new display. Okay. And I'm buying a Mac Mini. Finally. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I heard that I'm connected already. Yeah, I've been planning to do this for essentially mm-hmm. the past year. Everybody told me, just wait, just wait until the new one comes out. <laughs> and it's finally time. Good, 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 good. So you went all the way. You, you got the uh, got the full kit, the, yeah. the biggest iPad. Yep. Yeah, I got the I got the one terabyte iPad, I got the keyboard folio, and I got the second generation pencil. So the whole setup. There's nothing else I can buy for now, I think. Uh, until next week when AirPod 2s come out or something like that. Oh no. <laughs> I mean there's a bunch of dongles that I probably should should get for my <laughs> USB C tests, but uh Sylvia's gonna hate me for all these adapters and cables that I'm scattering around the house. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I mean Federico, obviously the perhaps the most interesting thing was that you were the there to see the event kick off you know uh, you were you were invited over to have a look at that with from mm-hmm. apple yeah i went to the apple event as press um i enjoyed very much the experience of going to new york for essentially 24 hours i flew from rome to new york went to the event and then on the same evening at 11 p.m i flew back um but it was it was a really great opportunity i think to get a sense of an apple event express it was my first time as as media um mm. so it was it was nice to you know to see jason to see uh casey Lee and marco arment were there also so that was cool um and it was also a great opportunity i think to be able to have some first impressions of the ipad pro as soon as it was announced and that sort of inf- it kind of prepared me for what I was getting this week. I sort of had an idea already of what the device felt like or which model I wanted to get. So that was really cool. And the venue was beautiful. Of course, it was the Brooklyn Academy of Music. It was a really, really fancy, fancy place. Um, the hands-on area, as you might expect, super packed. And of course, um, there's this, I don't know if it's an issue, but um, there's different types of media. So you get the bloggers that just want to take a few pictures, just want to play with these things. Uh, and there's the YouTubers that need to record footage. And sometimes 
very long footage. So uh, <laughs> you're basically waiting in line until these folks with these beautiful cameras uh, shoot all their 4K content. And I wonder if maybe Apple should organize this, this sort of hands-on mm, areas a little bit differently, depending on yeah, whether you... Yeah, have a studio or something. Yeah, yeah. depending on whether you, you just want to play with it or if you want to record footage, because, of course, recording footage takes more time. And... Um, but it was also a lot of people, so you know, it's it's. I can imagine it's difficult to organize and to set up this kind of this kind of hands-on area. Yeah, have you see, have you seen these places where people go now, where it's like a building that's built out just to be an Instagram set? Have you seen uh, this? Yes, I've heard yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's that's a whole new business line, apparently. You know, jobs of the future that nobody thought had been invented yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dressing an Instagram set. So <laughs> yeah. Um. So for our mini uh, series of the future of the iPad, we uh, started uh, two weeks ago with software and we kind of held the hardware topic because we knew that there was going to be an Apple event and we everybody knew there were going to be new iPads announced. So new iPad Pros are finally here and I want to talk about what the new iPad Pros have done to the current iPad line. I want to talk about the new iPad Pros because um, I have one and I think you're also about to get one uh, uh, one of the new iPad Pros. Um, but also I want to discuss what the new iPad Pro means for the future as well as we, what we would like to see in the future of iPad hardware. Yeah, Federico, I think that's a really good idea. I, I always feel what, whenever there's a refresh of an Apple line like this, that it's worth sort of taking a sort of zooming out a little bit and having a look at what does the line look like now and what are the offerings at different levels. So right. in, our, in our notes here, I've put together a couple of little tables and we'll try and yeah, translate them for radio if you like. Um, so obviously there, there's the two new iPad Pros. There's the 12.9 and the 11 inch, but also the 10.5 still exists. And then we have the, the sixth generation iPad, which some people, including me, sort of refer to as the education iPad. That's the the, the 9.7 inch, the traditional sized iPad, which has Apple Pencil support now, yes, and Touch ID and things like that, but not, it's it's a number of generations behind now. It's That's running on an A10 chip and the 10.5 is running on an A10X, but all these new iPads are A12X Bionic now. So they're, they're uh, a significant sort of set of revisions beyond what the, the lower end of the iPad the of the iPad line is doing now and uh, there's a bit of a difference developing there obviously the pros are they've taken another step beyond what the other iPads have got yeah I have the sixth generation iPad um, it's the iPad that I was using as sort of my nighttime reading slash watching Netflix iPad in bed um, and it's fine uh, but you can tell that it's not an iPad Pro it's a little bit slower and uh, you know the, the camera is not as good as the 10.5 which I also have but my girlfriend uses that um, I think it's a it's a fine iPad and it's especially good I suppose for education but you can obvi- you can obviously tell the difference from that iPad and the iPad Pro and the new iPad Pros as, as you mentioned they come in two sizes the 11 inch and the 12.9 inch um, they have the A12x Bionic the neural engine which Apple likes to bring up every time we're talking about Apple and the C- and the CPUs and the GPUs of the design yeah. but they also they also have Face ID 
So that's a big change because, of course, these mm -hmm. iPads no longer have a home button. Uh, they're using the second generation Apple Pencil, which charges magne magnetically. It attaches to the iPad. It pairs without using a lightning connector because the lightning connector is gone, replaced by USB-C. Mm. And, of course, these iPads, like last year's iPad Pros, they keep the ProMotion display, the white color gamut, and the True Tone display, which, uh, personally, I really like. Um, they can record 4K content, 4K video, like last year's iPad Pro, and they keep the um, a 12 megapixel camera. Um, I think, especially if you look at the top line um, of the iPad Pro family, it's a really impressive piece of hardware, honestly. And we can talk about whether that hardware is justified by the software, but I mean, just if you look at the benchmarks, um, comparing the iPad Pro to to a MacBook Pro, and com you know, I've seen folks comparing the iPad Pro to the iMac Pro. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it holds up really, really well. It, it, the, none of this makes sense to me. Like I, n nothing in all of my understanding of computing explains why these mobile devices are destroying these gigantic. You know, the, I mean, the iMac Pro, when it came out, people were like, this is a beast. It's, it's the most Mac you'll ever need. And now you've got a, uh, essentially a mobile device that's that's besting it on some, or, or at least matching it on some benchmarks. And it's it seems to be just yet another enormous leap from Apple's chip team. Yeah, and it's, it almost makes me wonder if um, this is an exercise on Apple's side to sort of get ready uh, for the moment when they will be able to make an argument in favor of leaving Intel chips behind. And I, I don't remember who, but somebody on Twitter shared a clip of Steve Jobs uh, explaining the switch from Motorola to Intel two decades ago. And the same arguments that Jobs made then they kind of make sense for Intel now. And, you know, if you, if you take into account uh, arguments such as Apple being able to advance at a faster pace than Intel allows them to, or performance per watt, for example, um, Apple on the iPad Pros is showing that they can make a Pro CPU without a fan and iterate on it almost on an annual basis at this point. Which, of course, yeah, you know, with yeah. this kind of performance gains, Intel cannot do. Yes, and I think also, Federico, we're getting one of the arguments against moving the Mac line away from Intel was always uh, bootcamp and Windows compatibility and things like that. And I think increasingly that's a less important because fewer people want it. I would say, at least the, the fewer people want it on Apple hardware. But also. Um, cloud-based solutions for a lot of that stuff are much, much better than they used to be. And we, for example, use Amazon Workspaces at school, and that's a cloud-hosted Windows desktop running over the internet. So if you need a Windows desktop and you're running on a Mac that doesn't support bootcamp, you can easily get something like that from a cloud service now. Hmm. That's a good point, and it kind of also applies to gaming. Um, you know, it's always been one of the reasons why people want to use Windows. It's because, you you know, gaming on the Mac, it's not impossible, but it's not as good as on Windows. And if you look ahead at the next 10 years, for example, the, 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 the rise of game streaming, so the idea of being able to play games with PC quality, you know, graphics and performance, through a web browser or through an app that streams yeah. content yeah. from the cloud. That is just, you know, crazy. But, you know, I mean, it exists today. With those, uh, with the uh, Amazon Workspaces stuff, there is a version of the client that runs in a tab in the Chrome browser. So you can actually have a Windows computer 
in one tab of your browser now. That's crazy. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's mind blowing, you know. So so yeah, I think that there is a, an interesting case for possibly, you know, Intel compatibility at the at the lowest level of hardware is much less important than it used to be for various reasons. Um, of course, with new iPad Pros also came some changes in terms of the pricing structure of mm. of all these iPads, and that is to say they are more expensive. Uh, they are more expensive. Yes, in, when you say changes, you mean increases. <laughs> yes, uh, they are more expensive in dollars, in yeah. pounds, and in euros. Um, mm-hmm. Do do you want to talk about this? Because you you know we we talked about this uh, I think last week. Um, yeah, you've been discussing this on Twitter very very openly. Mm. Um, <laughs> what do you yeah. think of of these new prices? <laughs> well, once my heart recovered, I mean, I think it's there's now such a clear break. You know, it's it's like a new class of device almost that you're talking about with these pros. There there's not really a clear continuation from the sixth generation iPad to the 10.5 inch iPad Pro. Because even to go from the sixth gen to the 10.5, you're essentially doubling the entry price from 319 to 619 um, for the entry level uh, storage class. But then you're tripling the price to get to the entry level 12.9 at 969. So in in terms of what Apple's offering per per price, the sixth generation iPad is available in 32 and 128 gigs with or without cellular. And one of the things I looked at, Federico, was the, the so-called cellular premium, like how much more are you paying for cellular? And on the 6th gen and the 10.5, it's been £130, and it's been that way for quite a while, but it's now £150 on the new iPad Pro. So even in the, the differential for getting cellular, there's a wee bit of extra money put in there as well. Uh, the 10.5 comes in at 64, 256, and 512 gigs for 619, 769, and 969. And then the 11-inch iPad Pro starts at 769, and the 12.9 starts at 969, and then you can go up to 256, 512, and then of course we've got this new terabyte class. And I think that's one of the other things that's interesting about the new new Pros is that they're the first iOS devices with a terabyte of storage on board, and uh, that's that's a lot of storage. You know, and and it's interesting whether whether or not things like USB-C, for example, make that a viable amount of storage. Um, because how do you get a terabyte's worth of data onto an iPad? You know, are, are it, what is that supposed to be for? Is this just for people with DSLRs who are syncing um, thousands of photographs while they're in the field and they've got no internet? Is that is that what that's for? Um, I suppose um, it's a combination of, of those things. Um, so the reason why I, I bought the one terabyte model... Um, as I try to explain in the article that I'm that I'm publishing today, is that there's a, on one side I this is my main computer. Uh, this is the the computer that allows me to run my business, um, and I always want to make sure that I have the best option available because this is a computer that is gonna last me for two years, and that kind of investment will be paid off um, over the course of the the, the next couple of years. Uh, by allowing me to have the best performance and never having to worry about storage or, or you know, uh, performance and that kind of stuff. Um, but also, I was trying to think ahead, like what are the things that I would like to explore in 2019 and beyond? And um, my girlfriend is getting more serious about photography. Um, she, she wants to learn like proper photography techniques. She wants to study. Uh, and one of our ideas is to start doing more serious um, product shots 
on Mac stories. So the idea of uh, I want this iPad in the future to be able to hold hundreds of raw files that I can edit. Um, so that sort of became an argument in favor of having as much built-in storage as possible. But also I started considering uh, one of the projects that we've been discussing with the Mac Stories team is getting more serious about video. So if I want to start doing video, uh, am I going to want a computer that can hold all of my video content and has you know, the, the, the highest amount of RAM uh, to manage you know, that content, to, to encode video, to export video? And so considering those factors and just the peace of mind of knowing that this is my only my, my main computer because the Mac Mini sits at home and I use it for podcasting and backups and Plex. Um, but this is the computer that I'm going to carry around all the time. And so for me, that sort of became a question of do you want to make sure that your computer that allows you to 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 basically make money for a living is a is the best computer you can buy? And and it. The answer was yes, but of course it's super expensive. Um, so for me, it's kind of easier because this is a business expense. For most people, I wouldn't recommend this one terabyte iPad Pro model. If only because not everybody uh, runs a business from an iPad Pro, but also if you don't need to do video production, if you don't need to do, you know, uh, hold hundreds of raw files, if you don't want to install like dozens of games as I'm doing now, because I also want to start doing more gaming uh, with the iPad Pro and mirroring to my 4K display, you don't need this iPad. But I also think that if you need this iPad, you know you need it and you know why it's the iMac Pro of iPads, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. That's that's yeah, a, that's the perfect that. metaphor. If you you yeah. know when you need this kind of iPad. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think one of the things that has been kind of controversial with the reviews that have come out about the iPad Pro is that a lot of people have kind of made the case that you you still can't replace your laptop with an iPad Pro or something like that. And I think you and I, I mean. We were frustrated with that line of conversation when we started this podcast, Federico, and that was one of the reasons why we started it was to kind of show people that there are many more sets of functionality on these devices than than may be apparent at the, at the beginning. And I think there, there's a big claim that's being made for some of these more expensive iPad Pros, which are clearly you know deep into laptop money now you know it's not just okay it's close to the lowest end at MacBook. It's like this is way into uh, laptop territory that um, I, I think perhaps what people mean when they say this and it's not what they actually say so maybe I'm just reading into it but like I feel like for, for that kind of money the iPad has to do the majority if not all of the work that you need done oh, yeah. and for, for people like you and I um, and these days more you than I to be honest with you um, you can justify that because you, you know that the parameters of your work are in such a shape that you can control that. And I think it's true of both iPad and Chromebook that these devices work really well if you ha have a clear understanding and control of the boundaries of what your work actually is. Whereas for people who have a much more um, fluid work style or they're, they're being given things to do from other people and things like that, rather than having control of their whole system, then it's, it's perhaps more difficult to either think about a Chromebook or an iPad in some of those situations. And I, and I understand that, but um, I think we've we've shown that there's much more can be done than people mm -hmm. often think there is. Yeah. 
Totally agree. Um, uh, real quick about accessories, because mm-hmm. those also saw a price increase. Um, and especially the, uh, the Apple Pencil is surprising. It went, uh, I don't remember the prices in dollars and, and euros, but it went from 89 pounds for the first generation to 119 to the, for mm-hmm. the second generation. So that would be a 30 pound, 30 pound increase, 30 pound yeah. increase. Um, which, I mean, Sure, it's a, it's a. You could argue that it's a better pencil. Um, it, it's easier to use. Uh, it's easier to charge, but it's still a thirty pound increase for essentially the same device. Yeah, you've you've got this tapping capability on the side, but the thing as well, Federico, is that if you have a first generation pencil, you have to get the second generation pencil if you upgrade your iPad, because the first generation pencil does not work with the new iPad Pro, the third generation iPad Pro. So that's a that's another kind of drag on upgrading as well, is it? I mean, I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, you've got to replace all your dongles because, you know, welcome to modern computing. But you do have to consider that as well. Like you're, if you're hoping to keep your Apple Pencil, I'm afraid you're going to have to upgrade that as well. Yeah. Um, what really is annoying for me is the price of the uh, smart keyboard folio in the 12.9 configuration uh which is a uh, 199 pounds it's i'm pretty sure it's well over 200 euros for me um and i think for that kind of money what you get from the smart keyboard folio it doesn't justify the price um the smart keyboard folio is essentially a glorified smart keyboard that also wraps around the back of the iPad because it's a folio case. Um, the The keyboard itself is the same. So the fabric on top of the keys is the same. The filling of the keys is the same. And it doesn't have any extra functionalities. It doesn't have any new keys. It doesn't have any media keys or Siri keys. Uh, it's not backlit. So it's the same smart keyboard, but also with a case um, and more magnets because it needs to attach to the back of the iPad. Um, I don't like the smart keyboard um, because I, I'm I'm more of a bridge keyboard type of person. You know, I like a real laptop keyboard that I, that I you know it's a, I can adjust with infinite viewing angles uh, and it's backlit and it's got media keys and it's got a bunch of iOS only shortcuts. Um, I had to get these the smart keyboard folio because it's my only option right now because none of the previous keyboard cases that I have fit the new iPad, um, but I don't love it honestly. Yeah, it's interesting because when the when the Google Pixel Slate came out, which is Google's kind of um, Chrome OS based iPad Pro competitor, their keyboard's two hundred pounds. And I was like, oh, that's a really spendy keyboard. And then uh, Apple just, you know, whatever you Google can do, Apple can do better uh, in terms of pricing. But the, the the Chromebook Slate one has a trackpad built in and it's also backlit with hard plastic keys. So it, it, you sort of feel like you could be getting a bit more value for, for what you're being offered with a smart folio. Yeah, uh, but again, for now, it's basically the only option, uh, surprisingly, because when the original iPad Pro launch, launched in 2015, at least we had the Logitech Create 
keyboard option but so far uh, this is the only keyboard to use the smart connector it's the only iPad Pro keyboard to be sold in the Apple store so if you want to have a keyboard and that integrates with the iPad with the new iPad Pro you gotta have this one or you can use a Bluetooth keyboard but then you also gotta start thinking about cases and viewing angles yeah. so you gotta roll your own essentially um, do you think many people are using the iPad Pro without a keyboard just using the software keyboard sure yes which I mean, there's uh, there's a smart folio if if you're that type of user. Um, yeah, did you see the price of that as well? <laughs> uh, it's essentially the smart cover from years ago, isn't it? You know. Yeah, um, I assume yeah. I, I haven't checked out the price pounds, for that. Yeah. Uh, but I assume it's also more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a hundred pounds now, and it's just a it's a sheet of PU oh, well. that covers the front. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Whatever. It it is what it is, right? But, yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I mean, just for the the few comparisons that there are, and, and you know, if you look at the, the Chrome, the Pixel Slate that Google brought out, it's expensive as well. You know, it's, it's not like anybody else is knocking out a tablet of this size and, and build quality at half Apple's price, you know. I mean, there are other computers that are half Apple's price, but if you spec up a, a Google Chrome, uh, a Pixel Slate, then it's, it's comparable pricing to the iPad Pro. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, all right. So I want to talk about the new iPad Pro and I want to talk about the future of iPad hardware. But before we do that, mm -hmm. we should take a break and we should thank our friends at Pingdom. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom, the company who make website performance monitoring really easy. Everyone loves a fast website, and Pingdom are helping to keep your favorite sites online. These are sites like Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack, just a few companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom care about your users having the smoothest site experience possible, and if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. Super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL, and they will take care of the rest. That is it. So go to pingdom.com slash reallyfm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code CANVAS at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for the support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so ask me whatever you want about the new iPad Pro. Yeah, so I suppose one question, Federico, is you, you've seen both devices, device sizes side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you feel that um, it would be important for anybody who is used to the previous sizes of iPad Pro to get their hands on these new ones before they decide which size suits them? Yes, um, absolutely. And especially because the 12.9 might surprise you in that while the 11 inch um, stays in the same, uh, has the same footprint as the 10.5, but the, but the display is slightly bigger going from 10.5 to 11 um, and sort of um, having a different aspect ratio than previous iPads. It's kind of strange, but it's basically the same size of the old one. The 12.9 has seen a considerable size reduction 
Um, so it's the same display size, but the body of the of the device is much much smaller than the 12.9. And um, I I was comparing the you know I took some pictures of the app, the new 12.9 compared to the old one, and basically it's missing you know the, the removal of the forehead and the chin as they call it you know the top and bottom bezels, and the reduction of the bezels on the sides. It makes for a much more portable 12.9. And it, it doesn't look like it's the same display size, but it actually is. It's just that the body, uh, it's so much smaller than before. And so if you, I would say that if you were in love with the 10.5 and if you're okay with the multitasking, you know, with split view being limited to compact size classes, um, and if you don't feel like you need a bigger iPad, I think you're gonna love the, the 11 inch, but if you have even just a, you know a tiny shade of doubt about should I get the 12.9, and uh, maybe because you thought it was just a little too big for you in the past, I think you should go to an Apple store and check it out uh, because it's. Um, it's so it's so much smaller than before, and it's thinner and it's lighter. Um, it's still not as, of course, it's still not as light, not as portable as the 11 inch. We're talking here about a difference of about 200 grams still. So it, it's uh, maybe less. It's actually. not nothing. Yeah. Um, it's still a difference, and the 11 inch is still so much lighter. But trust me, uh, the 12.9 will surprise you. Interesting. I think there's also quite a significant difference in the weight of the keyboard folio case between the two sizes. I think. Um, the the twelve point nine case is something like four hundred grams, so you're talking about you know to go from one to the other reasonable amount of extra weight, but you know this is in context of a reasonably light machine anyway, so probably not too much of a worry. Federico, the next question I have for you is these new squared off sides, how and also the small bezels because I think the two kind of go together. How comfortable is the device to hold? for an extended period. Is it, because I've always felt with iPad that because of its extra width and, and size, you sort of have to have thumb space to put mm -hmm. some leverage on the top of the device to stop it sort of falling out your hand, if you like. How, how's handling the device? So I think uh, handling the device is fine. Um, I think the 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 squared off sides uh, they're not sharp, so that they will sort of um, they they're not annoying when you're holding them. They're uh, you know Apple sort of rounded them off just a little bit, so they're still nice to hold in your hands. And what I was surprised to notice is that Apple did some work to improve um, thumb detection to avoid accidental taps when you're holding the device so even though the bezels are smaller I think they're about nine millimeters um, you d iOS doesn't register ac accidental taps when you're holding the device with your thumb and even when you start when, when you begin holding the device so maybe you have like half of your thumb on the bezel and the other half on the screen it doesn't register register an accidental tap and even if you keep holding and then you slightly move your thumb toward the screen so it's like almost the entirety of your thumb is on the screen it still will not register an accidental tap so um, I was reading with the iPad Pro with 12.9 in portrait in bed last night, and I didn't notice anything weird in terms of like, okay. oh, I accidentally selected some text or I scrolled mm. to the top of a web page. No, you're not going to notice that kind of stuff. So I think it's fine. Okay, good stuff. Um, 
Face ID, obviously, that's the that's one of the major new things for the for the iPad line as a whole. No iPad has ever had Face ID before. Um, is it as good as on the iPhones? Is it better because of the more greater flexibility? Uh, I think it's actually better if you're you, because if you're gonna, but it, it depends on how you use the iPad Pro. So if you use it at a desk, I think it's actually better than than the iPhone because you're not moving the device. So you're if you're sitting in front of the device um, at uh, you know the recommended distance, which I would say you know if you're like um, about. 20 to 30, even 40 centimeters away should be totally okay. Um, You're just sitting in front of the camera and you're not even going to notice Face ID. Uh, So when it's stationary and you're not moving around and the iPad is fixed, you know, on a desk with the keyboard, uh, I love it. It's, you know, when as soon as I tried it, uh, Face ID with the iPad on my desk, I immediately asked myself, how is Apple not shipping this on the Mac? Because it totally, <laughs> totally makes sense. Um, I imagine it would be very nice for things like um, 1Password, for example. Yeah, exactly. It is. Because it, when you invoke the 1Password extension, it just looks at you and like in, in a fraction of a second, it unlocks. Uh, it's very, very nice. If you're holding the device and you're moving around or you're, you're basically uh, you're not using the keyboard there's some uh things that you need to know so if you cover the camera accidentally with your hand there will be a message on the screen with a with a flashing arrow pointing on screen at the camera saying the camera is covered please un- uncover the camera um but the, what's good is that it works in any orientation so uh you can hold it upside down or horizontally on either side uh and it'll, it'll work um and it's just as fast as the 10s max or the 10s i should say um which is slightly faster than last year's iphone 10 um but yeah you just I guess if you're holding the device and if you're, you know, using it in portable mode, you just need to be more conscious of the fact that Face ID, you know, there's a camera and you're maybe covering the camera with your hands, but I haven't yet been annoyed by Face ID when holding the iPad. there were a couple of times where I was covering the camera and I just needed to remove my usually my thumb and Face ID worked. Does it automatically try again once you uncover the camera yeah, it does. or do you have to repeat your action? No, it does. Yeah, it, yeah, it tries okay. again because it senses that you remove your finger. Okay, cool. Let's talk about USB-C because mm. I think this is this has misled a lot of people in their thinking, I, I feel. Um, the, the, what people seem to think is USB-C means laptop class, whatever that means. Um, and... I, it feels like there's another shoe waiting to drop with the, the inclusion of USB-C on the new iPads in the sense that um, at the moment, it seems that all it gets you, I mean, I'm using a USB adapter on this iPad that I'm talking to just now, and it's a lightning adapter. And in order to get my microphone to work correctly, I have to plug that adapter into power as well. And it seems to me that one of the major benefits so far of USB-C is that you'll not have to plug your lap- iPad into power in order to, to connect power-hungry USB peripherals. Would that be fair to say? 
That's right. Yeah. Um, via thanks to USB-C, um, uh, the iPad Pro can provide up to seven point five watts of power to external devices. Um, this is based on the USB three point one Gen two spec, which some companies refer to as, and this is a terrible marketing name, Super Speed Plus. So USB three point one generation one was called Super Speed, but then generation <laughs> two came out uh, with some improvements over the data transfer and the you know um, um, you can move up to I think ten gigabits of data on on a single cable. Uh, so companies decided to just call it Super Speed Plus. So USB three point one Gen two and Super Speed Plus are the same thing, just different names. Uh, but yeah, uh, you c- I connected my uh, my Sony headphones and they charged uh, via USB C. I connected a mouse. And of course, it did nothing, but it uh, it, it it was powering on mm. uh, via USB C. Yep. And if your USB device um, can power on uh, with seven point five watts of power, it'll work. It'll power on, I should say. Whether it'll actually work and do something, that depends on what <laughs> kind a software of, problem. It's yeah. a software thing, so it depends on the kind of accessory that you're trying to to, to trying to connect to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you you said you'd picked up the ultra fine display as well. Yes. So, uh, I mean, is is that just basically the same experience at the moment as if you had plugged in and say a VGA projector? It is. Yeah. It's the same experience. It uses, it uses the second screen API, which means that by default, you're just mirroring the entire display of the iPad. But some apps can take advantage of the mirroring API and they can do stuff like showing you the interface on the iPad, but content on the display. So whether whether it's a keynote presentation or I think iMovie just got updated to... Um, I saw that, yes. ...to show yeah. you the, the video up to 4K on a connected display. So you can show different things on the display. But that's up to developers to support. But it's funny that you ask about the ultrafine because there's a, you know, USB-C is a beautiful utopia of a single cable that allows you to do everything, but it's not quite uh, what what you might expect in that um, USB-C essentially, it comes, and I'm simplifying here, but it, it comes in three flavors. Um, there's a the USB-C connector, it always looks the same. But inside, uh, you know, depending on the wires and the pins, um, you might end up in three different scenarios. So there's a USB-C that uses USB 2 speeds. So this is the cable that comes in the box of the iPad Pro. It can charge the iPad Pro, I think, up to 30 watts. Um, and it, but it doesn't support uh, things like uh, the fast uh, data transfers or connecting to a 4K display. Um, then there's uh, the USB-C uh, based on USB 3.1, whether it's uh, it can be Gen 1 or Gen 2. Uh, with Gen 2, you get up to 5K support for up to five uh, up to 5k displays i'm not aware of any 5k displays that use pure usb-c i think a couple exists but i haven't i haven't found them on amazon um but with this cable uh with this type of connector uh you can connect your ipad pro to a 4k display and also connect things to the 4k display instead of you can daisy chain things together uh and the display can charge your ipad and you can mirror the ipad screen on the external display 
this is the cable that comes in the box with the ultra fine 4k it's a usb 3.1 i think gen 1 cable but it works fine it charges my ipad pro and it mirrors the ipad pro then you have usb-c with thunderbolt 3 and that's a different thing uh thunderbolt 3 is uh you know it's it's is used by apple it works on macbooks uh it allows you to connect to 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 external displays i think it supports 5k displays it supports charging and fast data transfers but it's a different spec and the ipad pro does not support thunderbolt it only supports pure usb 3.1 so uh, you cannot connect the iPad Pro to the ultra-fine 5K. You can only connect it via USB-C to the ultra-fine 4K because that one doesn't use Thunderbolt. It uses plain USB-C. Yeah, there's a kind of breakpoint somewhere with the amount of video data you're trying to transfer over, you know, I think between 4K and 5K, that you have to get these Thunderbolt signals going, don't you? Um, yeah. Something like that. Um, I'm vague on the details as well, to be honest with you, but I think it's... Uh... Uh, it should be easier, honestly. There should be... there should be uh, Apple has a webpage about this stuff, but it should be more easily presented. It should be clearer to people. And also, um, I'm not sure how I feel about Apple shipping a USB 2-speed USB-C cable. Uh, on one hand, it's a thinner cable because these uh, USB 3.1 cables are thicker and they can only be up to two meters of length otherwise uh, you get signal degradation and loss of power that kind of stuff um i get what i get it why apple shipped a, a thinner you know lighter cable but it, you know i think it's insane that you cannot go at the moment you cannot walk into an apple store and say i want to buy an apple made usb 3.1 cable because they don't make them, they don't sell them. So either you're either you have an ultra fine 4K and you can use that one, or you gotta go on Amazon and find you know just go to the wire cutter and get their best recommendation for a USB 3.1 USB C cable. That basically. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if perhaps uh, this is perhaps in line with the fact that we don't really have USB mass storage support. So yes. what's the fast? What's the fastest thing you're going to plug that Apple cable into to actually use? Exactly. Probably a DSLR with a USB-C connector on it. You know, you're not putting it into a, a one terabyte SSD external exactly. drive or something and expecting to get really fast performance because there's just no software support for that. And exactly. That's, that's the other shoe that I think is waiting to drop here. And I think that's something that a lot of reviewers sort of got caught up with was here's a USB-C port, why does it do nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and by nothing they mean, why does a mass storage device not show up in, in the Files app? And I think it's, it's been obvious to you and I for a long time, Federico, that the Files app is exactly where a yes. hard drive should show up, you know? Yeah. Um, and it seems, I mean, I don't want to say it, it's a trivial thing to do, it's clearly not, but um, it's it seems the obvious extension point for, for something quite simple to be done there. Yeah, and I feel like it should be done before iOS 13. Most of yeah. the technology required for this is already in place because developers can already write uh, applications that support um, USB devices um, mm -hmm. for mass storage. It's just it's, they need to do the work themselves, but most of the APIs required for this are already in iOS. Apple should have a first-party version in the Files app, and we talked about this before, and it's more obvious than ever now. But yes, I, I totally believe that that is the, the exact same path that Apple followed. Uh, the reasoning would be 
why should we ship a USB 3.1 cable for fast data transfers if we don't have support for data transfer for data transfers uh, and also yeah. if you have a 4k display you already have the cable so why should we put one in the box um, which again I understand uh, hopefully hopefully you know they will add software support for USB drives in the future and they will ask you to give them like 50 pounds to buy <laughs> new USB C cable. <laughs> definitely will do that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. um Federico, let's talk about another sponsor just now. Yes. Uh, this, this episode of Canvas is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. And Luna Display is the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. So you'll basically have a super portable second display with great image quality. It's the full iPad screen and basically zero lag. And, and setting up this thing is so simple. All you do is you plug in a little piece of hardware into your Mac and you'll be up and running in seconds with everything working over Wi-Fi. And if you don't have access to Wi-Fi, you can always use USB as well. It's super simple. And Luna basically acts as a complete extension to your Mac. So what you see on the iPad display is the Mac user interface and the Mac sees it as a second screen. So it's, and, and the touchscreen works and the keyboard works when it's connected and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's super cool. And uh, Federico, I, I said last time we were out that I had had a, a long play with it and I was very, very impressed with it. And I know you've had a sh- chance to, to have a go with it now as well. So how have you found it? And I was very impressed with it also. Um, so I'm, of course, I'm not the type of person who would use an iPad as a secondary display, but I wanted to play with it because I, I you know, I thought the idea was cool and uh, it's super easy. You you get this very very tiny dongle that you plug into. Uh, I plug into the my the Display Port of my uh, 2015 MacBook Pro. You install an app on the Mac. You install the same app on your iPad, and literally within five minutes you have your MacBook display. Um, you know. Uh, you have your MacBook using the iPad Pro as an external display. Uh, it, performance is uh, is better than anything else I've tried in the past. Uh, there have been other external display solutions for the iPad. You know, so I think since the the very first iPad, developers have come up with ways to let you mirror the display wirelessly or via cable. Um, this is the best one I've tried. Uh, it's of course it's. There's a very, very, very tiny amount of lag, but considering that everything happens wirelessly and that you have this tiny dongle that you plug into a side of your Mac and it's actually cool looking because it's this tiny red thing on the side, um, it's it works beautifully. I mean, I use Tweetbot to you know with multiple columns on my iPad Pro next to my MacBook and it was perfect. Um, so if you're the type of user who would like to use an iPad as a display for the Mac when you're sitting down and you want to have you know like an extra window maybe on the side, I think this is totally worth it because performance is great, um, the hardware is beautiful and it's unobtrusive and it's the best solution to turn the iPad into a display that I found. It absolutely couldn't agree more it'd be interesting if they were able to produce one that you could plug into your USB-C connection know, on your right? iPad and have another iPad that's, that's the next stage for that but listeners of Canvas can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code CANVAS at checkout that's Luna L-U-N-A display.com and the promo code CANVAS at checkout our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM so Federico, just briefly to wrap up with some a couple other things, the pencil with the tap capability—how is that? Is that nice? Is it reliable? Does it feel Ew. good? 
It works okay if you remember that you need to double tap on the lower end of the pencil. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. there's there's like a band that uh, runs across the bottom end of the pencil. Uh, you need to double tap there, uh, and it switches tools. Uh, there's a there's a setting that you can that you can change in the settings app to like to switch between the pencil between the current tool and the eraser or the last used tool. It works fine. It's very nice. Uh, you just need to keep in mind that it's not like you can double tap anywhere. It's just toward the bottom. Just toward the bottom and it'll work. And I think finally, Federico, we should probably just wrap up with the, you know our, our sense of where mm. the future of iPad hardware is going. And, and I suppose one of the questions that I had here was, you know, is this is this too much iPad? You know, and, and it seems like a stupid question to ask, but um, these things are so powerful. What are we? What are we doing with all that power, you know, and, and where where could we go with this amount of power at our disposal? Hmm. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that Apple is trying to serve um, two different markets. The one that already exists of some professionals who use iPads for pro tasks. Um, I've talked about this on Connected. I, I hear from engineers, I hear from scientists, I hear from pilots, uh, from people who organize theater productions at, in Broadway, um, people who do use an iPad Pro as a pro computer. And there's an, I don't think there's many people like that. Uh, but there's definitely a market for, uh, you know, pro apps and, and pro tasks being done on iPad Pro. But also I think Apple is trying to serve the market that will exist in the future because it's so clear at this point that software is behind hardware when it comes to the iPad Pro. And I think Apple is sort of preparing for a future where the iPad Pro is more than it is today but thanks to a software update. Will there be iOS 13? Will there be iOS 14? I don't know. But I think in the over 2019 and 2020, we will see more and more of this shift of m tasks that used to be desktop-only becoming viable on the iPad Pro. And so I think, yes, possibly for now, Apple is over-serving the market a little bit, um, but I think, I mean, I just can't shake the feeling that they ship this kind of powerful hardware. They're, you know, lapping the competition in terms of CPU and GPU performance because they need to, be, they need to make sure they're ready. I mean, the company that is asking, you know, developers, possi quite possibly next year, to do things like take your iPad app and bring it to the Mac you want to make sure that there's a solid foundation of iPad software that is powerful enough to be justified on a Mac. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've, yeah. we've reached this tipping point of the iPad Pro is just as powerful and the, as the Mac, and developers will be able to take iPad apps and uh, rewrite them for the Mac. Um, so why not make it just as powerful? The problem is that Right now, you look at it and you're like, well, it, it's maybe a bit too powerful for now. So obviously we need more. And it's not the first time that, app, that Apple has shipped hardware features in advance of the software features that use them. You know, if you remember the iPad Air generation in the Air 2, we sort of wondered what we were going to do with all that power mm -hmm. as well. And and then along came multitasking in iOS 9. Yes. And uh, and then, you know, more, more than one application at a time and now more than two applications at a time and so on. So... You know, who knows when? If you have a, 
if you end up with a windowing iOS where there could be multiple applications active at the same time or, right. or needing to be active very soon, you know, um, and have to stay resident even if not active and so on, um, there, there's a possibility that a lot of that could come along as well. I mean, I think this opens the headroom for radical changes to iOS in terms of the number of things an iOS device does at the same time. And I, I wonder, you know, how far are they willing to take that? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it's I, a very big question. Yeah. I, I have here's, a, an, here's another question, Federico. Just, just this has just occurred to me. Sorry to butt in on you there, but what if macOS emulation comes to iPad? Well, you're, a, <laughs> you're. A, that. That's a dangerous <laughs> thought, Fraser. To have, but the power's there. The power's there, right? The the power is there you know? for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't know how Johnny Ive would feel uh, about <laughs> macOS on an iPad though. Mm. No, but theoretically the power is there. Uh it's it's a fun thought experiment for sure. Yeah. Um uh, I have a personal list of wishes and theories that I wanna just list quickly uh toward the end. Okay. Uh so we've talked about in the future, I would like I, uh, iPad to be capable of connecting to USB uh, external storage devices. Um, and of course, I would like to see a proper second generation Face ID, not just uh, software improvements, but like a new sensor, better true depth camera. And I also mentioned before, I want to see a real pro keyboard for iPad Pro made by Apple that is not the smart keyboard. I want to see them make an aluminum or a new magic keyboard, whatever, like a pro keyboard instead of the smart keyboard. Um, and of course, I also think um, that we will continue to see a reduction of bezels uh, until someday we end up with the sort of Westworld uh, dream of an entire display that you hold in your hands and you probably fold. I don't know. Uh, but that's... Well, Building, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, but I have, I think, three main wishes. There are like three big, uh, you know, big ideas. Um, in the future of the iPad Pro hardware, I would love to see support for all kinds of input methods. So multi-touch, Bluetooth keyboards, wired keyboards, that's already possible, but also mice and trackpads. I think the time is right for iOS and the iPad Pro to support trackpads as an option doesn't have th that doesn't mean turning the ipad pro into a macbook but it means when you nope. need a trackpad you can use it because why not there's already trackpad in the keyboard when you're writing when you know when you're using the software keyboard you can use tra uh, trackpad mode so why not um i would love to see proper support for external displays with new APIs uh, and if, nece if necessary, new hardware to allow developers to say you're using an iPad at a desk Well, now you can have a second display that actually is not mirroring but it's a second display where you can drag your windows you can drag your apps, you can have I don't know, multiple split views you can have four apps at a time sort of like a tweet deck style setup mm -hmm. um, yep. that, that should be possible, I don't know if it's possible with the current hardware but I would love to see you know, iPad Pro 2020 maybe supporting actual external displays again would be perfect for trackpads. Um, finally, it kind of requires trackpads. It kind of yes, we talked yeah. about this last uh, two yeah. weeks ago. It requires trackpads. And finally, um, my my big wish is um, I want to have an even bigger iPad Pro. 
I want to have <laughs> a 15-inch iPad Pro that is obviously designed for mm-hmm. office use, for home use. I want to have a stationary iPad. And um, People might say, well, why don't you just get a MacBook? Because I want it to run iOS. That's why. I want to yeah, have yeah. a big iPad that runs iOS that is this beautiful 15-inch edge-to-edge display uh, and that supports everything I want. I can pick it up and lay on the couch and swipe around the 15-inch display or I can mm-hmm. hook it up to a keyboard I can hook it up to display, I can use a trackpad, I can use my hands, I can use a Bluetooth keyboard. I want a display. Here's my dream. I want a big display that is multi-touch and supports everything, whether it's a mouse or a trackpad or a keyboard or multi-touch, everything. So that's my dream scenario. I think that's potentially absolutely fascinating what that would be like, mm. you know, what what that would enable or what it would how it would change, you know. Mm. We'd see, we'd probably start to see furniture built for those kind of things. Imagine so you had that. a seventeen-inch one, you know, desks built with the idea of a more like a, a, a draftsman's table or an easel rather than a, a flat desk with a stand-up screen on it. I think all of that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's you know way probably way too far in the future. I don't know. Could could, could, mm-hmm. could it happen in the next two years? Maybe. Maybe, uh, you know, we we went from no, you know, from no iPad Pro to this generation of iPad Pros in three years. So it's not impossible. Well, watch this space. We'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Federico, thank you for that. that. Those insights have been really valuable. This has been Canvas episode 74, Future of iPad Hardware. You can get the show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 74. You can catch up with us on Twitter. The show is underscore canvas FM. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico Esvetici. And we will see you next show.